Welcome to Mosaic Beyond the Stage. This week, we'll be discussing Lynn Nottage's fabulation, or the re-education of Undine. This satirical tale follows a successful African-American publicist's fall down the social ladder after her husband steals her hard-earned fortune. Broke and now pregnant, Undine must return to her childhood home in the projects and face the realities of the life she left behind. Today's discussion features Mosaic's founding artistic director, Ari Roth, and production dramaturg, Dr. Phaedra Carpenter. With the audience, no matter how distinguished our panel is, uh, we want to find out what you're sitting with at the end of this extraordinary journey. In a word, in a phrase, just shout out what you're left with at the end of Undine and her journey. What are you sitting with? Trusting the process. Trusting the process. Very good. Relief. Relief. Thank you. Say truth. Truth. Ownership of who you are. Thank you. Identity. Identity. Nice. Great actors. Yes. Great actors. <laughs> Phaedra? Trusting yourself. Now, Phaedra, you've been around the development of this play. You've seen this play in an earlier decade when it first came out. You've uh, been around this project, too. You saw it again tonight. It's our second public performance. Uh, what do you sit with when you take in this full play? In, in, impressionistically, you've written major chapters about this uh, play, but what do you feel when the play is done? That's a good question, Ari. <laughs> well, what's interesting is I think I do feel something different each time I see it, which is the beauty of theater. Today, um, I felt very, very moved. I was thinking particularly about flow. We've had discussions about flow and um, the resonance with family and thinking about family and fam familial connections. I think um, the, the program has the three women, right? So this type of intergenerational experience, but also thinking about today, for me, it was very much a, a sibling experience and the, and the brother and sister. So connections of family. So what is this about Lynn Nottage's play? And you know all of her work, and I'm sure our audience has uh, come in with a knowledge of Lynn Nottage. You can read a lot more about her in the program. But what makes Fabulation such a special play for you about Lynn Nottage's body of work? So yes, there's a little article, short, in the program. And one thing I discussed in that is that she is so indefinable. Right? You can't really categorize her. So scholars of Lynn Nottage will talk about this. She will have really deeply profound political work. She will you know, dice it up with comedy. You can't really pin her down. This play is really interesting. How many people have ever heard of the play Intimate Apparel by Lynn Nottage? Okay, so if you happen to have heard of Intimate Apparel, and if you haven't, then you can discover it now. It is a play that she actually wrote sort of in tandem. 
she considers it a partner piece with this play. With this play. And for those of you who may, may know it, that may seem a little strange because that is about a seamstress inspired by a family member, a I think a photograph she saw. It's about a black seamstress in New York who falls in love with um, a, a, a Jewish man who deals with fabrics. It is sort of a forbidden love. It's not possible, but you see this, this love and this sense of... Um, um, a familiarity and friendship between these two, but it's a love not to be, okay? Interestingly enough, in that play also, there's things that happen. The woman, the seamstress, was actually abandoned by her former lover. I say this because Lynn Nodders says one thing, despite the fact that all her plays are very different, issues of family and specifically issues of abandonment mm. are thematically drawn in all of her plays. So in this, we see Undine, of course, is abandoned by Array, right? And she talks about wanting to often write about strong black women, but there's oftentimes uh, an issue of loss and abandonment in various forms. The grandmother here, you know, she has felt abandoned. So it's not just an abandonment with romantic love, but when someone pulls away. And so a lot of her plays deal with that. Now, another po thing you point out, uh, which this play has from character to character, is the issue of doubleness, that everybody has a shadow self, a former self. Um, you can, we can delineate that. We can hear back from you what you think about that. But I guess the question is, why and what's the significance of that doubleness, that uh, Undine has a former identity, everybody has a former name, a former identity? So that's one of my favorite themes to talk about doubleness. So in this play, we can think about the, the African deity, you know, Alegba, right? We can think about Br'er Rabbit, if these things sound familiar. This idea of being a trickster or the sense of duality in African-American folklore and African cosmologies. But then again, we all have a sense of doubleness. I always tell my students, the way I talk to my students, the way I talk to my 12-year-old, the way I talk to my mother, my accountant, I perform different selves, right? So the interesting thing about this is understanding you don't necessarily have to put on a different mask, but we are all complex and nuanced people, right? And sort of what choices do we make to navigate that and embrace our holistic? We don't need to cut ourselves up. Undine didn't really know that. So there's that sort of doubleness, but Lynn Nottage definitely sort of roots it in Again, African-American and African folklore. We think about Alegba. Alegba is the deity at the crossroads, about choices. There's an African folktale that talks about this trickster figure. Two men are arguing because they are talking about someone who walked past. And one said, oh, he had like a, a, a red mask on. And the other one said, no, he had a black mask on. But someone was on the left, someone was on the right. On one side was the red, on one side it was black. And so it's the same entity, right? So it's this sort of thing, and again, these sort of African roots. But I love this play because we see all this doubleness. Right, so I have a lot of ideas of where you see duality. Besides Undine, what else can we throw out? Where do you see this sort of these dual characters, two-sidedness, this contrast of, of what you might expect? Yes, yeah. please. Um, the same person that was playing uh, Undine's husband also played, you know, the, the guy we have. Um, that's when it really stuck out to me. 
I mean, that's a brilliant. So how is the casting playing a role in doubleness, right? Are there other examples where we see this duality at play, which is trying to underscore form and content? Grandma. Absolutely. And then the very notion of the maternal grandmother. Yeah, but she's like the heroin fiend, right? Um, I love Alegba. One thing that was interesting about Eric Ruffin and this production is he thought of the Orishas. So this is what this sort of represents. The ancestors, but also the Orishas. That all the characters represent sort of uh, the Orishas, and all of the characters have a little bit of a legba and doubleness in them. I mean, the social worker is supposed to be helpful. Maybe not. We have the Yoruban priest, you know, holy who wants the rum and $1,000, right? All these different sort of twists and turns working against sort of expectations. Yeah. What questions do you have for Phaedra about the play, or what, uh, what jumps out at you that you want to sort of lift for the room itself? Yes. Uh, not necessarily a question, no. but I did find it uh, very interesting. I just wanted to um, let you know that the way that this was played, I was very beautiful in seeing uh, Arlene's journey um, with, within herself and being able to, um, just like you guys spoke about at the beginning, uh, it's it's a difference between someone who has duality, but is comfortable with their duality and can sit in a level of equanimity with their duality rather than somebody who is not comfortable with their duality, so then they put on that false mask. So that really, what you just said, just kind of opened my eyes up to that and realizing with anybody in life, uh, if you're not comfortable with your duality or being able to adapt yourself in certain situations, then you're, you know, you're going to be uncomfortable with yourself. So, rather than embracing it and being able to flourish. So. Can, I, can I just say amen? Okay. I mean, I love that because some of you might be familiar with W.E.B. Du Bois's notion of double consciousness, right? And for me, that's not a bad thing. There is an empowerment in understanding how people might visualize or understand you. So can you embrace your, your um, second veil, your double sight, your understanding of your, your two selves? Right. Now, the question I really have of audience was a question that was asked 10 years ago when you were working on the play in Baltimore. It seemed that the conversation related around Undine's character and whether audiences found her, quote unquote, likable. She says a lot of crazy things in this play that would make most people want to run in the other direction. Yeah, we, we have a thought. Oh, oh yes. I, uh, just life in general, when you are able to listen to other people, all of, all of the things that she went through, she had to sit there and hold what she really was inside while listening to everyone else. And um, to me, as you get older and have more experiences, you are able to live your truth. Talking to the microphone so the podcast can pick you up. Yeah, I mean, speaking to whether she was likable, I mean, I'm not sure how much she was likable throughout the entire uh, play, but you can definitely empathize with her throughout the entire time and what story is being told and what she's feeling. I think it's a great story. As a New Yorker, you 
I rather definitely empathize with being from the boroughs, making it into the city, and how disparate things are. The Dwayne Reed on the Upper West Side is very different from the Dwayne Reed in the Bronx and Brooklyn. The shelves, the way they're stacked, the service that you receive, the support that you get is very different. When she had that moment when she was able to go back to the Upper West Side, it was almost like she was able to get back to her old life for a moment. And there are different times throughout the show that you feel it because when you grow up in the inner city in the boroughs of New York City and you make it to the university level, you do have that opportunity to still identify with having been from there or escaping. And she had that opportunity to escape without identifying anymore. But then ultimately, she had to go back and find herself again. So it was really heavy. I thought it was great. Um, okay, so just another thing that really uh, stuck out to me with this question that you guys just asked. Um, I like to think of it in the perspective of my freshman year um, of acting class, we learned that you cannot judge your characters and nobody is evil. Nobody is truly like, it, people may be seen as evil in the world, but they have their reasons for doing things. So when I look at a character like that, whether she's likable or not likable, I don't really see, you know, whether she's likable or not likable. I kind of see, and she, later on you, you get in the story of why she acts the way that she acts and why she closes herself off is because of judgment, because of different things like that. So you take somebody who has an ailment or something that we're seeing as seen as not good in society, you don't know why they've been like that or what story that they've been through. So you can't really like judge somebody up front. Uh, so that's something that I try to like, Coming into this, I try not to judge her character from jump because it's very easy to jump into. Okay, I don't like her. I don't like how she acts. Rather than getting to know the behind, you know, behind what she you know, does. Yeah, also off the idea of judgment, just the different um, interactions she had with different characters, such as the young teen who's pregnant, and you know how she wanted to be condescending towards her and exert, exert pity on her, but the teen was doing the same exact thing to her. And she was like, "You're so old, and where's your man? Where's your pregnant?" Or even uh, one of the double dutch queens where she saw her and then she found out that, oh, no, I'm actually a representative for this and this and that. Let me help you out. But she's like, oh, I used to be you people. So the idea of judgment was definitely um, all throughout of this, the right, the work, everything. And then also the idea of Sankofa. I saw the article on Sankofa. And even though, you know, the... Um, the pastor or the religious figure was kind of con, he still said the only way you'll find your truth is if you go back home and going back home to find your truth. And then that's when she started to breathe again. That's when she let a lot of things go. So I thought that was very common. Well, Phaedra, maybe you'll reflect on that. Why was that a question in the production or the, re the reactions and the struggles with Undine as this not traditionally likable character, but somebody who was fascinating. It isn't a question that we wrestled or worried about here, maybe because times have changed and allowed us to see Undine in a new way. What's your relationship to Undine now, uh, and, and how do you view this um, question of likability? Well, I think you all answered it really beautifully, yeah. but... I like personally um, people who are characters that are intriguing, right? And if everything is sugar coated with the bow, you're, you're not really engaged or interested anymore. So what's so vital about that is that we are intrigued by her and that we can move though to embracing and under, understanding her complexity. Uh -huh. 
right? So this is sometimes a question. Certainly, if we are immediately appalled by her, we're going to no longer be engaged either. So, but it's the arc, right? You hear about this in, in, in theater class. What's the arc of the story and what's the arc of the character and is there a journey that we can go? Oftentimes we think about protagonist and sometimes people say, oh, the protagonist of a play is like the lead, the most, you know, the head, the central figure. But really, we, in my classes, we talk about the protagonist is often just the character that changes the most or is the most impacted. And sometimes there's more than one protagonist. It's not always a, necessarily a singular thing. So we need to see her change and move, right? Well, final thoughts before we, yes, please. Um, for me, I guess with the likability, I think that Undine, her character is relatable. And I think that that's kind of what draws us in, or me personally, that's what drew me in, was seeing her different extremes, like, of like, okay, I can see how, like, she's feeling this way towards, you know, this part of society, but when she goes back to here, she's like, ah, I don't want to be here. And it's like, I feel like we all go through that and try to understand that. I think I had a question more um, about, like, when you think about the playwright and what she's trying to express, because I, it's like, it didn't really comment and say like, oh, like her life, because she's living lavish and things like that, that that's wrong. But it was like when she went back home, it was all of this struggle and things like that. But then we still in the play with her kind of being home and not necessarily getting like a restoration aspect like of all her wealth and like things like that. I don't know like if you have ideas on what the playwright might be just trying to show her. Mm. So the interviews I've read when she addresses this, and I've had the chance to work with Glenn Nottage on uh, by the way, meet Vera Stark. I, uh, so that's a very different sort of thing. Um, I did not talk to her about this, but the interviews I've heard, it's just about the holistic self. It's about Sankofa. It's about remembering your roots. It's about not abandoning those near and dear to you and being comfortable in your own skin. That poem, Ari knows this, that poem of Flo's uh, about the Brer Rabbit, if you ever have a chance just to read it, for me, the whole play is encapsulated in that poem. That's like a summary of the whole play about feeling comfortable with yourself and, and connecting to your roots and acknowledging them, right, as you go forward. I have a final question, uh, and that's really to both recognize the intergenerational nature of this room tonight. We've got people from many different uh, uh, generations here. And this play was written now about 15 years ago. Does this play hold up to the moment we live in today? Do you find it current or dated? Yeah. Um, while I was watching the play, I kept thinking about uh, House of Mirth by Eve Wharton. There's a real resonance in a strong female character who is um, basically railing against the, the, the forces, the social forces that are trying to kind of keep her down. And you know, and then tragically, she's making these decisions that are kind of working against her. You know, she's she's her own worst enemy and tragic heroine. And I was thinking, watching this play, it's like you know, nothing's really changed in hundred years. You know, Edith Wharton's writing spoke about you know what happens to a strong woman who refuses to accept social labels. And here's a play that's only fifteen years old, and it's basically saying the same thing. Yes, behind you. I think it's 
really current and almost more so than ever because we kind of live in this world now where it's there's a big emphasis on like mobility and you can make something of yourself and we also have all these portals to see everything that the world has to offer like just through the technology that we have and so I think there is a really big struggle um, to kind of in this hustle culture to, to remain loyal to who you are and be proud of that while simultaneously striving to better yourself and to, to be something different, to become your own person um, without disavowing who you are. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I would also agree that this is a very um, current topic. Um, as, as you see, um, just in uh, modern day, you see how anybody of a higher stature can, for example, just change their name. Starting mm -hmm. with that, you change your name, you become somebody else, and you forget the life that you left behind. And so easily can life humble you to where you start from the bottom, go where, wherever you dream of, and you can so easily return back to the bottom. And so I think, um, just remembering to be humble and not forgetting about your roots and who supported you, who brought you up, and just different tasks that, um, yeah, never forgetting where you come from and staying true, stay true to that. Uh, also, with that being said, understanding and always remembering your roots. Also, I, I'm trying to remember the line she said when she was kind of imitating this higher figure, sorry, we have too many blacks here, you have to move back down to the back down the social class. And it's like, you can try to um, hold on so tight to this abstract understanding of the American dream, no matter what you look like, and then versus the American reality of what her family is. And of course we can accept, we can create our reality <coughs> with hard work, we can have thick defenses. That's the way we build on it based on. I just think it's extremely, um, apparent that it's important to hold on to what what your roots are, what you know, what supported you. You know, coming down to your graduation, loud with all this food, they still raise you. That's still your family, that's still your homies, no matter how far you go. So, all, right. all right, take us out, last your thought. Okay. Um, so when you um, when you look at something like this, um, it's like the, like she said over there. She, it's really timeless. So you're looking at something like dehumanization. Like it's so easy to dehumanize somebody of, that you think is a lower status than you. So it's so easy to look at uh, a janitor or like somebody who works in a fast food place and like oh, I can talk to them however I want because I make more money than them, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's so easy to dehumanize somebody and we forget that in a second, you know, your world or wherever you're living at or whatever you, your status is can be taken away from you instantly, you know, and then you have to start yourself back up and re-humble yourself. And I just think that's the apparent theme in this, uh, this whole idea of fabulation and everything that we we all need to really quickly realize that we're all human. So um, Undine was so quick to dehumanize everybody that was under her, but then when nice. she got down there, people were over top of her. You know, um, like you saw the two Double Dutch twins and one of them had a better job than her now. And she's like, oh, I'm trying to be like you, but you know, she wasn't anymore. Um, and I think one of the most powerful moments to me was when you realize she was sitting there with the young, uh, the other young teen pregnant um, girl and she they, she really didn't want to talk to her because she felt like she wasn't on her stature but then she hears something like I'm scared and she feels the exact same way so now you embrace her and now you quote her because you realize that you're both humans in that moment.
You've left us with an amazing verb, rehumbling. Mm-hmm. That's well done. Uh, you get the last word. Um, in what? What's the most? Uh, what's? How has Lynn Nottage held up uh, the, her material, and what is most contemporary uh, and most current about fabulation today? So I would say this idea, I like the re. So also refashioning and reinventing when we're thinking about, I loved how you talked about technology. We're in a time and place where we have the access and the resources to create and sculpt and manipulate identities and personas and disperse those (laughs) in a way so that the lie easily becomes the truth, right? And so technology has, where we are now, I don't know how many are Facebook, Twitter, it scares me a little bit, I know. But how you can package yourself, something we always can do, but how you can package to your heart's content and how that can become the truth until 14 years later, the detective knocks on the door. <laughs> right? so. Last question. Could we, could we say that we go, I think, do we pay attention to what's happening? around us, you can become so big and so this that you're not even aware of what's going on. She wasn't aware of her finances, she wasn't aware of the relationship that had failed. So in our everyday whatever, do we actually pay attention to what's going on? That's so, that's so great because, again, I think it ties into where we are, the fast pace, the technology. Um, they say that young people don't play with each other as much. Young people are citing they don't have as many friends as they used to have back in the day because we're not necessarily connected as, as a human network in the same way. So what are we noticing? What are we registering? She, Andine doesn't even realize till her grandmother says 14 years. She's like, what? It's been that long? How, how did you not know? Right. So yes, yeah. We gotta get out of here. Thank you all so much. Great first discussion. Hi, my name is Alexa. Did you know Mosaic Theatre Company of DC is a nonprofit organization? That means all this cool content you're experiencing is possible only because folks like you donate. A donation of any size, even your spare $5, makes a difference. For more information, visit mosaictheater.org support. Or give me a call at 202-399-7993, extension 154. Thank you.